0: We're on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapCXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Eurograps Express. I'm your host, Neil David, and we're back again to talk about all the exciting things that have been happening in British and European wrestling over the last fortnight. We are, I say we, it's just me. I was going to say we are proud members of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, uh, but this podcast is me in my kitchen talking about wrestling at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, But that's the way we like it. It's just me talking to a friend about the stuff I've seen on the continent over the last couple of weeks. Uh, this show's going to be very heavily RevPro-focused. I've done two shows in a row now without RevPro, and I can feel myself getting anxious. I can feel Andy Quilden getting annoyed with me. He's sending me all this money every month to tell you how great they are, and I'm just ignoring it. I'm just banking the checks and not um, and not fulfilling my part of the deal. So we're going to have a, a big focus on the Great British Tag League, which they've been running over the last few shows, building up towards a final I think it's a really great idea. They've done it as blocks. It's been it's been fantastic. But we'll we'll get to that in a minute, because we can't start this show without talking about the major major news of the last fortnight. And in some ways, it was unexpected, but in other ways, it was very much expected. It was that the sort the, the sadness that you know is coming that one day you know bad things are going to happen that one day you know your PC is going to be obsolete. One day you know that the car that you love is going to have to go and be and be, uh, and be, and be shredded. What do you do to a car? You don't shred cars. You crush them. It's going to go go be crushed. One day you know that the job you love you're going to have to leave. And really, I think if we're honest with ourselves, that as great as wrestling entertainment series has been, as big a boon as that has been to the scene, as much as it's lifted us all up and brought us together and united us in our love for British and European wrestling, we really should have seen the signs that it was never going to happen. And I'm sorry if this is how you're finding out. I, I do. I, I, maybe I should have thought about how I was going to break this news to you. But it didn't happen, Wrestling Entertainment Series. The show in Sheffield was cancelled. And it feels... I feel empty almost saying it. You know, I, I feel... It's difficult. The signs were always there, obviously. The fact that they booked the show like a month in advance in a major arena. The fact that they were booking stars that had no idea that they were supposed to be on the show. The way I found out myself was equally harsh. It was a friend of the show, SM North, posted. The, the the statement that Wes made in the uh, in the Discord. Get on the Discord, by the way, with Eurograps Express. Uh, we've we've got our own room in there. And SM North, big fan of the show, posted it to me. And I'm a bit disappointed in them, really, because they know how much I love this promotion, and they just posted this statement without making sure I was okay, without making sure I was sat down with, without making sure that I was cheese and crackered up to my gills to prepare me mentally for this. Let me read this statement to you and see if you can imagine how I felt to see this, to wake up one morning to see this. It says, and this is available on their Twitter page as well, so you, you can you can have a look yourself. It's pinned, it's not actually even pinned, it's at the top, it's just there. And it says, verbatim this. Dear fans and followers, unfortunately, we will have to cancel the event scheduled for this Saturday at the Motorpoint Arena in Nottingham, England. We are deeply disappointed in the news that we have to share but with so many talent not showing up we will have no choice then to cancel the event. Our team worked so hard on this event day in and day out for the fans to come with a different type of wrestling event and believe that we still will be able to show that in the near future. We do want to say that all our talent that was scheduled has been paid in full and that Lena Fennen was paid her deposit as well while she changed her mind and did not want to show up and wrestle anymore. For now, we will have to apologise for this, but we promise that it we will, it will not end here. See you soon, Team Wes. Heartbreaking. I love this statement. I love it for so many reasons. I love the fact, the structure of it, the fact that it started off really professional. I mean, there's no commas and stuff in. But we, we you know, we, we're not going to ask them to separate subordinate clauses with commas. I mean, they they invest in NFTs, don't they? And there's either you know, there's two. If you invest in NFTs, there's sort of two possible junctions. You are either very very thick or very very clever and manipulative. And this statement sort of suggests that they're not very bright. So we'll just whatever. It is what it is. I love the fact it starts off kind of professional, you know, unfortunately we're going to have to cancel the scheduled event, we're deeply disappointed, and then the sass just cuts in, doesn't it, like, you know, so many talent not showing up, we've got no choice. I mean, actually, what happened, if you look at the talent side of things, the date was changed, and they all had bookings. So I don't know. I mean, it depends who you believe, doesn't it? Do you believe the authors of pain or do you believe the rest of the talent who had bookings in places such as, for example, Australia? You're not going to do double duty. You're not going to do Michael Oku at York Hall if you're in Australia. It is literally, quite literally, the other side of the world. I don't think there's somewhere you can fly that would take you longer than Australia from Nottingham. Lena Fennan has been quite vocal, saying, look, don't come to the show. I'm not on it. And I respect that. Don't necessarily respect Lena Fernandes as a worker. She's not somebody who people like you and me are going to really be eager to see, I don't think. But I absolutely respect that there are people who probably do. And she's come out and said, look, I'm not going to be on this show. Stop saying it. Stop putting my my face on a poster of a show I'm not going to be at. Seems really reasonable to me. It's just been a disaster, hasn't it? I think my favourite WES moment so far isn't necessarily the fact that they... um, you know, sort of all the cancellations and stuff like that, and the, you know, the moving the orchestra, and, and all that business. I think the best bit for me has been a tweet they put up on July the 1st that says, You can win a meet and greet with your favourite superstars. And if you buy a ticket, you're going to qualify as a potential winner. And I thought, Oh, that's all right, actually. And I thought, That's quite a good idea. And then it says, Every Friday we're going to announce a winner on our socials. I'll, you know, ignore the fact that it that it says socials, but then it says there's only one more week to go. So they've announced this big competition, and they're saying every Friday we're going to give, basically, have a different winner. But there's only actually one more week to go. I don't know. I, and I genuinely think the reason why I find that funny as well is because I don't think that's been done on purpose. I don't think that's been done in a manipulative way. I think they have genuinely thought that that was... a re- That's the way they wanted to word it and we'd get excited. And it's, it's not registered with them that there's only actually going to be one more winner. I, that's absolutely fantastic. Been a little bit of other news on the scene. One that I'm particularly excited about is the AEW Atlantic title. Uh, Pac won at the last big pay-per-view uh, for AEW and they seem to want to take this title global. And I think that's a really great idea. I love the idea of an actual traveling title. There's something romantic about it, isn't there? Like that old NWA title the, 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 sort of a champion traveling through territories and doing runs in particular places for a belt. I, I think that's just a great, great idea. And the fact that Pack is the champion is, I think, is fantastic because it means I'm probably going to get to see him defend it if he's over in the UK. Pack is quite possibly one of my favourite wrestlers working at the minute. And I know there's a bit of a trend at the minute to be deeply concerned about AEW. And, and for people, it seems like every Thursday, I, I open Twitter in the morning. Because I'm, you know, I'm in work and I, I can't watch it, it live. Um, uh, Dynamite Live, and I, I wake up every Thursday morning, and it seems like there's a string of people being deeply concerned about AEW, and you know, as as Tony reached the end, I mean, they mentioned one on the on the flagship, of, of, is it last week or the week before? That I, I love, it's my favourite one about what will AEW when the pops run out? what will they do when the pops run out? I'm thinking, well, the the pops don't run out, do they? If you're good. <laughs> you know, Rick Flair still gets pops to this day. <laughs> you know, it's just the pops don't run out to they? they just, you just do things that get more pops, you know, and, and it just seems like that level of analysis is just dripping all, all over AEW, that they're absolutely messing up what they're doing, that they're dropping the ball left, right and centre and, nothing really supports that. You know, they're incredibly successful. Things are going really well. If they were if if the one evidence that I had, and the one bit that I joined in with that they had dropped the ball was a bit of a rubbish build to Forbidden Door, but that ended up being possibly one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time. And Yeah you can still be critical of that build. And I still will I was still critical of that build. I don't think the success of the show necessarily removes that completely but actually there's got to be a little bit of hand holding up there, and say, look, he pulled it off. He pulled it off. And there were also a lot of things about that that weren't their fault. But anyway, this isn't an AEW podcast. You don't come on here to uh, hear my AEW takes and actually I don't really want to give them. AEW the thing that I watch myself on a, on a Saturday morning. I get up and I put Dynamite on and I enjoy it. I just think it's good. I think it's entertaining. But anyway, this AEW Atlantic title is coming worldwide and they're defending it in Rev Pro, they defended it in um, Sheffield. Uh, it would have been tonight, actually, when I'm recording this, against Shota Amino. And I think that's a really interesting match pack against Shota Amino. I've not been Amino's biggest fan, if I'm completely honest with you. A lot of things have been disappointing about him, and a lot of things have, have not quite clicked with him. But this in and of itself, with that whole sort of mise-en-scene around it, is very, very exciting, and as I said, I absolutely love Pac, I think the character of Pac is so captivating, and this is why I was getting onto AEW, is that one of the criticisms that I do believe in, is that they could do more with Pac, and I'm glad that they're actually doing more with him at the minute, I think the Death Triangle stuff is really cool, but the fact that he is exciting and engaging, and he's He's got everything, hasn't he? He's got the promos, the looks, the in-ring ability. He's just an absolute psycho. I mean, one of those moments he's got that I will always remember from Pac, and I don't even watch Dragon Gate, but it's when he attacked that guy during the national anthem. And I, I love a little bit of... I love knocking the Queen. I love a little bit of a, like anti-Britishness. As an Englishman myself, I love it. It gets me going. And I just thought that was so traitorous and so disloyal that I loved it. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. All those promos when he joined AEW about how he's a he's a badger and he's going to bite your face off. and he, There's something different about him and something exciting that I, I really enjoy. The one thing that does really worry me about this, though, and I've not talked about this for a while because I think it's kind of becoming a little bit old hat now. One thing that does worry me is that this is going on Rampage. They're recording this match and they're putting it on Rampage. That sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds like something we we should be excited for, that Red Pro are going to be on a a worldwide stage but i'm worried how it's going to come across because the rev pro production values have not changed all the criticisms i've had of rev pro's production values since before since this show started and since before this show started i used to review uh, do written reviews for voices of wrestling and rev pro was my beat and I, I reviewed rev pro a lot and i would always have to mention the awful sound the cameras pointing in the wrong direction. I mean, we've had shows this year where the hard cam has been too low. Where like the tops of the wrestlers' heads are barely in screen. That's the level that we're talking about. And we're talking about matches here that are being put on New Japan World. So these are matches that are are big deals, that are gonna see it's, new. it's not just that we might forgive it. I mean, I don't personally, but there's an argument to say, well, it's going on their streaming service; it's just for them. But if there was a big opportunity coming along, they would raise the game. But in the past, they haven't. The past, they 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 haven't. They they just put on just the same rubbish production that they, they always do. And I am absolutely hoping and praying that they film this properly and the sound is proper. I mean, I've been catching up on a lot of Red Pro this week, to talk, as I say, to talk about the Great British Tag League. And the last thing I want is people cringing at hearing Andy scream, oh my gosh, with just levels of distortion that would be more suitable on a Stooges record. I'm willing to be corrected if I'm wrong. And as I mentioned the Discord before, and we've talked about this in the Discord, and there's there's people in there that seem to know a little bit more than me about cameras and, and technical things. And I'm very aware that I'm looking at it from that point of view, that I'm somebody who doesn't know how easy these things are to fix. But it does seem like it is really easy. You know, you look at, go on IWTV and look at some of the indies on there. Look at Progress. Look at GWF, we've talked about them a lot. All of these companies, whether they're bigger, smaller, same size, whatever, all of these companies produce their shows better than RevPro. And at this point, it feels like they're unwilling to improve. And the reason why this grates on me so much, and the reason why this sticks in my craw, is because the wrestling is the best in Europe. The wrestling and the booking is the best in Europe. And I don't understand why this hasn't been a priority. And maybe it's finances. Maybe it's something that I don't know about. And if it is, I apologize. And But in a way, I don't because you want to be treated like a big boy. You are the biggest in Europe. You want to run the big venues like the York Halls. You want to be on Rampage. You want to be on New Japan World. Act like it. Act like you want to be on those, you're entering into a pantheon, you're entering into social and cultural capital that has certain standards, you are expected to produce your shows to a certain standard, and it doesn't have to be stellar, it has to be functional, that's the problem with it, is that it often isn't functional. There was times on this rewatch that there's just crackling microphones in your ear as you're watching it. That's not good enough. Do it again. If you have to fix it in post, fix it in post. I really start to feel like there's a bit of lack of care now. And the reason why that bothers me so much is because I really care about RevPro. I do, and I know that's corny. And I've been beating around the bush about this for the last few weeks because it sounds like I'm a wet blanket. It sounds like I'm not looking at this Objectively, but I don't have to look at this objectively. I love Red Pro; they're my favourite promotion. And just, I want them to be better. I want people to see what I see. And when they switch on Rampage this week, I want them to see what I see. And they won't, and I know they won't, because do you remember the uh, AEW did that women's tournament is ages ago now? But they had some opening rounds in Japan, and they had those Joshi promotions, and people were talking about how the production of those promotions wasn't good enough for AEW. Rev Pro production is worse. I really hope Tony has sent him some money and sent a crew round. He sent his own crew round because he could afford it. And I hope he has, but only time will tell. Maybe I'll have to come on next week and eat some humble pie and it'll look amazing. And everyone will be talking about how great the match is. And I'm not being facetious that I genuinely hope that is the case. I really do as I, I hope it is. The other bit of news that I wanted to talk about is an absolutely fantastic video retweeted by Will Ospreay. And it was something I wanted to talk about on this show and it was from the last uh, Live at London show uh, which I haven't been able to watch because it's not gone up yet. But it was this video and I just I thought it's awesome. It's it's actually posted by Mad Kurt of all people uh, and it's Mad Kurt himself being absolutely Battered, absolutely battered by Will Osprey. Uh, Mad Kurt is on his hands and knees uh, in front of Will Ospreay. He delivers the hidden blade, takes the top of his head off, and then he's beating him into the mat. Mad Kurt's face is turned, his face is in the mat, and he's ploughing the back of his head with forearms. And it looks horrendous. It looks so brutal, it's so cool, the referee leaps in like, um, like, you know, it's MMA, he's got to get his body in the way, the referee has to put himself in danger to stop it, and then Will Ospreay's just got this glazed look in his eye, like he's had to, he's had to really rein himself back in, he's had to, he's, he's so captivated and enraged, and, and, and rolling with this violence, and he's got to just claw himself back at the brink, before he kills this man, and it looks so good. It's brilliant. I want to see that match. It looks absolutely amazing. The best thing about it, the absolute best thing about it, is the outrage from some wrestlers as well. <laughs> the wrestling dad, Damon Lee, didn't like it though. He didn't like seeing a someone a full on elbow, a pro performer in the back of the head. I don't know. I mean, is it dangerous? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm very open about my gaze here. I'm looking at this as someone who has never laced a pair of boots, but I don't see why what Will did is any more dangerous than just a forearm exchange standing up. It's just this forearm exchange was on the floor. I just thought it looked great. You know, there was lots and lots of wrestlers who seemed to think it was too dangerous. Not very, you know, but I just thought it was awesome, maybe I'm wrong, and tell me if you're a worker if you if you if you actually know what it's like, then tell me if you think this spot was dangerous because it seems like a very small amount of people who were who were sort of what's the word you're sort of like not sort of overreacting a little bit, you know like being a little bit too you're clutching pearls, that's it' you're like, oh no, this is too dangerous, well, God, I think you look sick, I enjoyed it. And sick as in good as well, not sick as in... Well, yeah, sick as in horrible, but also sick in the way that kids say it. You know, like, oh, that was sick, mate. Um, Will Ospreay's having a really good couple of weeks, actually. They're building to this match with Will Ospreay. Um, Will osprey he's not building to a match with himself. He's building to a match with Kenny Omega. And they're kind of doing this work shoot thing between them. You know, Kenny Omega's going out and talking about... Oh, people don't tell stories anymore. And, and it's, to me, that's... The fact People, some people are taking that seriously is ridiculous. That's a clear work. You know, Omega is such an intelligent wrestler. He's now using all of the criticisms that people throw at him. And he's becoming the one thing that people sort of accuse him of of not being I suppose you know that he's just this this spot guy you can't tell stories and he's then turning that criticism onto Osprey that's clearly a work he's clearly I think wanting to, to, to take those criticisms and make them into a compelling story it's a middle finger to those people he's going to do what they do in a compelling and interesting way he's going to do what they do well and Osprey has replied brilliantly and, you know, he's talking about how he blew Ibushi's brains out with a hidden blade and that's why he's mad at him and, you know, and he's saying things like, oh, I didn't want to brain somebody but it's a legal wrestling move and I'm allowed to do it, I'm allowed to do blows to the back of the head, you know, it's I'm allowed to do it and the way he repeats, I'm allowed to do it. He's just brilliantly building this match between the two of them. Um And then the way Ospreay in this interview is just so callous. You know, he's like, obviously the repercussion is he got knocked down and it was a bad concussion. And it it just is very, very brutal. This could all be found on Fightful, by the way. This is where that that interview came from. And when he starts talking about... he starts talking about Omega. I can't really tell you what he says because on iTunes, I haven't clicked that this podcast contains explicit language and I keep forgetting to go back and do it. So believe me, I can't read it out. But the things that he's saying are really true. You know, he's talking about how he's really coming back to help out the british scene he's working his backside off because he got hit by the pandemic and he's not taking any days off because he wants to raise up this scene and then you've got someone like kenny who's just not doing very much and just only performing on big stages and he's saying things like well you've got my number if you have a problem call me we'll talk about it it's it's brilliant i love this last line as well because it says the worst thing is that people are going to listen and be like they're building to something we're not building to anything He's a see you next Tuesday. I'll slap that boy and remind him you're a bloody forty-year-old man and you're fragile. Do you really want me to? Do you really want to get with me? I will end you. I love the inferences from that. This fact that he's—it's he's just just his simplicity is so powerful. The fact is, like I'm not building to anything because you are broken, you are fragile, and I will kill you in the ring. What a brilliant, brilliant promo! And I think that I, I really think that obviously Kenny Omega is winding down now. He's 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 clearly very injured. How injured he is is always up for debate. He, I, I get the feeling he might do the old Tanahashi technique of whenever this sort of big match is coming up, he wants to to make out that the injuries are a little bit worse. Um, and that, that's great, because that's working, that's pro wrestling, I don't, that's brilliant, I love it, I felt, the embarrassing one from me, and this is in writing, so I can never deny this, I fell for the Okada slip disc, <laughs> this is a, coming from a person who has quite severe back issues, I have spina bifida, and I, <laughs> I believed that Okada had a slip disc, and I put in a review that, oh, he did that with a slip disc. And then when I listened to podcasts afterwards and people were like, oh no, my dad slipped a disc and he literally couldn't stand up. I was like, oh, maybe he's not got a slip disc. But I don't care because I love being worked. I think it's brilliant. So I believe that Omega is injured. If he's as injured as he say he is, I don't know. But I do think that we are building towards something that might be a last hurrah for Omega. Maybe one last big match, you know, he might be able to go on and do the quote story match which I'm sure will be fantastic and it's leading more into that already but are we going to see the last big bump Kenny? With And if he's going to do it, you want to do it with Osprey, because to me, Osprey and Omega are they the best two wrestlers of the last 10 years? You've obviously got to throw Okada in there. Am I missing anyone obvious? Naito maybe, I, I mean I'm, I'm I think Naito is great. I don't know if Naito's godlike. Same with the Bushi. There's kind of that sort of level below. I mean, you're looking to New Japan, really, aren't you, for, for that level over the last ten years? But either way, Osprey Omega, that's a money match, that isn't it? That's that's the definition of a match that everybody will want to see, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, he's got a foul mouth, Will Osprey, though a very very foul mouth. So that makes me very uncomfortable. That's the news, anyway. Um a few little bits and pieces, lots of exciting stuff happening, Um, but we've got to get caught up with RevPro, because it's been a while since we've dropped in on them, and they've been doing this great British Tag League, Um, I'm obviously not going to go through every show, because we've got four or five shows to to catch up on, and I'm not going to go through match by match, we'll talk about the tournament matches and then we'll talk about a few interesting bits and pieces that I picked up on so, let's go dance off and talk about RevPro So the first show we had was uh, in Stevenage, and it was Red Pro Cruel Intentions 2022. And I always find myself not really enjoying the Stevenage shows. I I don't know what it is, because on paper, the the card's great. It looks brilliant. But there's always something a little bit flat about the Stevenage shows. I don't know if it's because of the setup that the the sort of bleaches on one side and then just a couple of rows and the hard cams facing just a couple of rows. So you're not really seeing any crowd the crowd, I don't know if it's because they're quiet, but they're full of kids, so you'd think they'd be noisier. tends to get more kids at Stevenage shows. But have, they're not mic'd up properly, so everything just always feels a little bit a bit flat to me um, in Stevenage, which is a shame because the wrestling, as always with, with Red Pro, is, is really good. As I say, they've split this British Tag League into two blocks, and so we've got two block A matches on this show. Um, Aussie Open against Smoking Aces and Velocities against Lycos Gym. But there's quite a few other little interesting matches scattered around. Uh, There was Robbie X against Ninja Mac. Um, GCW's own Ninja Mac, who I am really on the fence about Ninja Mac. And we're going to talk about another wrestler I'm on the fence about later on as well. But I go between thinking Ninja Mac is actually alright, to thinking Ninja Mac is completely rubbish. But I think this spot for him is really good. It's an opener against another flippy wrestler. Um and that's exactly what I want from my openers. I really want two people who are just doing tons and tons of flips and getting me excited. Um I'm a big proponent of flips in openers. Um I think what it is with Ninja Back is that he just sometimes is a little bit too silly. Like there was a bit where he got thrown over do you know, like a, a rope, like a queuing rope. I don't know what to call them. they sort of like two sticks. That you can move. They've got like a red velvet rope that you get. You know if you're going into a a club. And you like a bouncer will take the clip off. And put it back. Not that I ever do that. Obviously I've seen it on the telly. Um, And he did like a weird. He got thrown over that. But he had to do like a weird flip. That just looks stupid. And I think in a match against a flippy wrestler like Robbie X. If you're doing a flip that seems too much and too silly. You're probably doing something wrong. You know if it stands out as being particularly jarring and strange. Um, there was something a little bit soulless about the way he flips you know but then again he did a flip into a German suplex from Robbie X which is always really good and I think to be honest with you anyone who doesn't like a spot fest on some level is a dork I think if you're going to grumble because you're watching two people do incredibly athletic things and you're going to complain about it in a meaningless meaningless opener, I don't even think you like wrestling. I think what we're starting to see now is there are lots of people who don't like wrestling but do like moaning online. And I think if you don't like the flips, you just like moaning online. So whatever you moan online but feel free like I'm not even necessarily criticizing you moan online you know get it, get it, get it off your chest if I had a bad day moan online um I'm kind of sick of cutters now I've realized that that I'm I'm kind of at the point where I think the cutter has jumped the shark Uh, you know there was a few too many here and it just it's it's a silly move anyway I think I never really believe it's as devastating as it's often sold as kind of like a Canadian Destroyer it's cool and it's hard to do but it never looks that powerful I never really believe it for want of a better expression which again is silly considering I'm seeing all these mad flips but there were too many cutters here to sort of really elevate into something great but as I said it was fun and I've noticed that that Robbie X is starting to build a little bit of charisma, which I really liked. Um, He was really ranting into the camera at the end, and he looked really annoyed. Obviously, because Rev Pro production is so terrible, I had no idea what he was actually saying. Um, But he's starting to get a little bit of a swagger to him now, that he's always missed. He's always been a wrestler that could do amazingly impressive athletic things, but he was missing that bit of character, like his promos were never very good, but I'm starting to see marked improvements in that area it's weird isn't it when a wrestler an older wrestler suddenly just really gets it and becomes next level I think is Tomohiro Ishii the biggest example of that, I I never really followed Ishii before New Japan so I don't really know, but isn't isn't the myth around him that he wasn't very good, he was just sort of a bit of a nobody and then one day he just got it and he became one of the best workers of all time you know he's 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 the greatest G one performer ever, and think of the and think of what that entails. Think of all the performers that that is putting him up against, and he's the best. You know that's it's quite impressive. Uh, there was a, a handshake spot at the end of this, which I absolutely hated. There was a singles match, Alex Windsor against uh, Kyra Kamara, which I have absolutely no opinion about. It was fine. Uh, then there was Gabriel Kidd against Luke Jacobs, and Kid rules. I've said this a lot. He's real, and I like the real. Um, There's obviously been times when it's been a little bit too real, but he seems to have backed off social media. He seems to have, or there seems to be people around him that recognise what he needs, and I I hope he's getting that. I do because I think if we lose someone like Kid, if we lose him from wrestling, that'll be an absolute tragedy because I think he really is something special. Uh, He went right out. And started giving all the kids high fives. But it gave us this view of this crowd. And the Stevenage crowd just seemed like they were just kind of sat there. That they weren't really into Gabe Kid, Which I thought was strange. I don't really know. What is it about Stevenage? I don't, I, what do I know about? I don't know anything about Stevenage. Let's have a look. What is it that's made them so jaded? What amazing things have happened that's made them... Unable to enjoy wrestling on a on, on a level that, that that this podcast needs. Um, let's have a look. Who's famous from? Let's have a look. Uh, notable people from Stevenage. Who's good? Um. Nobody. No, nobody. Oh, Gabs Gardner, who was a finalist in C- series seven of Britain's Got Talent. Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton. Alright, there you go. Oh there we go. No, maybe Stevenage isn't as isn't as boring as I expected. You've got one of the greatest and uh, well I suppose statistically the greatest racing driver of all time. E. M. Forster Ken Follett, didn't he write um John Cooper Clark lives there Oh wow I've I've really misread Stevenage. John Cooper Clark, he's a brilliant poet. He's the soul why does the Salford Bard live in Stevenage? Why does John Cooper Clark live in Stevenage? I'm really confused by that. What's he doing? I've always expected that as I'm walking my dog around the streets of Salford that I would bump into John Cooper Clark. Apparently he's lived there for 20 years. Oh, that's really strange. That is real. Anyway, whatever. He's he's just, he is the epitome of Salford, isn't he? He's Salford personified and he doesn't even live here. And he's not lived here for a long, I digress. This is Steven. Anyway, Game kick goes out and he, you know, and then Luke Jacob comes out and what I liked is that Quilden kind of recognised the dance between cruiserweight and heavyweight for Jacobs. You know, it's something that What I like about Quilden is he recognises that there is a wider wrestling world around him. And I think that elevates everybody. I think the worst thing a wrestling company can do is assume that they live in isolation and assume that fans, especially in this day and age, don't know what's going on elsewhere. And I think in some ways, what progress have forced Quilden to do is kind of justify his position that he's not this big, bruising heavyweight. And yes, he's going against a heavyweight here, but because he's the Atlas champion, Yeah, he's competing for the Red Pro Cruiserweight title often that he needs to kind of explain why that's happening. And I think that really the only solution to this is when Jacobs gets a bit older and he loses the puppy fat and we see where he's really going to settle because he's got that kind of body where he's got the chance to become really, really big and really stocky. Obviously, height is what it is. I don't think he's particularly tall, but we're just sort of waiting to see where where he's going to fit. My weird penchant for proper grappling was met here. You know, it was great how well they grappled. I hate grappling that feels assisted, where it feels like they're just giving limbs to each other to do almost like a, a weird exhibition that, that's just sort of showing off people what what they can do, and it's almost like a little bit of a practice. But this these two really got that you've got to force it, and you've got to really wench it in. Um... It was a little, probably a little bit too technical for the crowd in some ways because, like I say, the Stevenage crowd is often very focused on children, uh, sort of more of a family-based show, and they weren't really going for it. And there was lots of stalls in it, and there was lots of big spaces, and the commentary just couldn't really fill the gaps. Uh, it felt like at one point there was a big pause, and then Gideon Grey had to kind of jump in and just do play-by-play. There wasn't, It just didn't really flow in that kind of whole package kind of way. They couldn't present it in a way that was exciting. It did get really, really heated at one point, but in a bit of a contrived way. There was lots of shoulder blocks and, and the running between ropes, but it just it, it didn't feel... The middle bit didn't feel natural like the start, which I think was a little bit of a shame. You know, and I, I really enjoy watching beefy boys run into each other and, you know, there was bits where they would collapse and then move that into big Germans and those sorts of things were really exciting. But in a lot of ways, it was less than the sum of its parts. You know, it sounds on paper like it'd be really great. And it it was good, it was fine, but I I felt like it it could have been a little bit better. Then we had the first match in the Great British Tag League, Aussie Open against the Smoking Aces. I'm going to say it, I think Aussie Open are the best tag team in the world. I really do. I think, okay, you might want to say FTR at the minute. I think FTR are hotter. I think FTR are more exciting But I think Aussie Open are better in the ring. And I cannot wait to see a proper match between those two. And it's going to happen, isn't it? Because they're wrestling in the same places. Um, But I think it's time for smoking aces to get on that Pantheon as well. I think they've been wasted in progress. And I like uh, those who listened last week are very, very aware of my feelings about progress. But I think one of the shining lights in progress is the tag division. I don't think... It's been particularly well-booked. I don't think it's necessarily (laughs) good on purpose. I think they've just got some amazing talent in there, and Smoking Aces are definitely one of those. Um, I think they just need to loosen up now. I really do. Stop acting to the hard cam like a sausage. You know, they come out and they stand on the stage and they do a pose and they look at the hard cam, and I think they just need to be themselves a little bit more. They need to chill. Look at what Aussie Open do. Yes, they have the hand gestures and they have the poses and all that, but they don't feel the need to enter the ring at the same time. They don't feel the need to to run through a practiced entrance. I think they just need to be themselves a little bit more. Charlie Sterling has amazing natural charisma, and I think that Nick Riley can, can play intimidating very, very well. I think they just need to stop playing at being intimidating, and just be intimidating, because they can do that. Um... And it was weird this match because I should have been more excited about it. And it wasn't until they were standing face to face and squaring off against each other that I realised just how excited I was for this match because these are two of my favourite tag teams in the country. Aussie Open, favourite in the world even. And they're wrestling each other. There was some competing chance at the start of this, which I absolutely hate. And I, that thing of one wrestler goes onto the top rope and tries to get the, the crowd going, and and then the other one does, and see who cheers the loudest. And I, I just think it's a bit of a waste of our time. And I, I think that it reminds me of something that Quilden was talking about on Will Cooling's podcast, On The Torch. And he's, he, he was saying that there's been some criticism that they, you know, they don't bring it fully to every show and that some shows are kind of like B-shows and there's different tiers. Um, and I wondered if he'd listen to me because I, I basically said that on one of my episodes. And I don't know if he does listen, but if he did, that was something that I was saying. But I want to clarify that. I don't think there's different tiers of shows. I think that there's different styles of shows. And as Steve and his show, when you get lots of children, you are going to lean more into doing this. Wrestling's a very immediate business. There's a crowd and you want a reaction. And if you've got a very young crowd who don't have the kind of wrestling capital that a York Hall crowd would have, you're more likely to do these things like competing chants. And the problem with that is when you're putting a match together that is probably best served by the wrestling nerd gaze or the wrestling nerd lens, it's going to take a little bit away from that. And I'm not going overboard on this. I still thought this was a good match. But when you get into that sort of thing, it does take away a little bit. Talking of, of wrestling capital, one thing I enjoyed about this was how obsessed Quilden is with Meltzer and the banter that Gr- he had with Grey about the uh, the Meltzer's ratings was brilliant. You know, it was this Quilden kept saying that Aussie Open were annoyed they only got four and a half stars from Meltzer. And you could... I actually, it's really obvious that it's Quilden who's annoyed. You know, he probably should have got the five stars. I didn't give it five stars. I went four and three quarters uh, for the velocities. Um, Aussie open match. Wonder if the production was better, it would have got five. Wonder, don't know. But um, Gray was brilliant. You know, he, he was talking about how oh everyone's obsessed with this old man, and he, he went into a bit of a Dave Meltzer internet troll kind of mode. Which are my favourite people. I love I love people who obsess over Dave Meltzer. I think they're hilarious. You know, the people who uh, just that argument. <laughs> Like, oh, if it was in the Tokyo Dome, it would have gotten an extra star. And Dave can't resist. Can he replied to go? Well, uh, actually, it's it, it's harder to get a good grade in the in the, in the Tokyo Dome because it's. And I've just, I just I love that argument that we've he's been having on repeat since Twitter was invented. Anyway, match was really good. There was a great bit of speed at the start. Nick Riley really played Kyle Fletcher, and Kyle could play the fool brilliantly. He's so emotive, and. He plays the heel so well. And I think Aussie Open are this prime example of these heel characters that are just really fully formed that I think for a lot of people, WWE brain rot has, has set in and we've, we've got really settled into what heels have to be and that heels have to be chicken shits and heels have to cheat and heels have to have to be in a very, very almost particular mold. And Fletcher he's he's not even the best in the world at it but he's the example that we're talking about now he's he's a heel because he's a great wrestler who's cocky and bratty and when he gets one up on him it's incredibly someone gets one up on him it's incredibly satisfying you know it's that sort of taking those same things and just not having to have them be one particular way that he could do it in a little bit more of a kind of, like I'll give you an example like he was doing body slams here and he was doing them in a captivating way because he was keeping hold of his arm and then shouting at the crowd when he did it I love a dominant heel, I think, and it's it's an art that was the WWE have lost, having a dominant heel, and I think that's my favorite type of wrestling character, having a heel that isn't just this, who's cheated to get to the top. He's a heel who's got to the top through wrestling brilliantly, and he's just really arrogant about it. What's that tennis player called who's going round at the minute at Wimbledon who breaks all the rules and shouts at everyone? But he's dead good. And that's what—that's what, why people don't like him because if he did all that and he was rubbish, you'd just sort of laugh at him. But because apparently hes he's really good at hitting the tennis balls, people get wound up by him. There's always something a bit clumsy about the smoking aces. And I think that's... Part of what makes them really good is that they wrestle on the edge constantly. They're they're very big blokes, they're clear heavyweights, but they do really athletic things and it always feels like they're right on the edge of their ability and it, it gives an excitement and a danger to the matches. But the problem with that is is that there's always the danger that he's actually he's actually gonna botch. And there was a botch splash in this which led to a bit of a moment of confusion and there was a botch where the fidget spinner or whatever they call it now was reversed into a Canadian destroyer. And then Nick Sterling went for a roll up that was botched. And I i think it depends on you and how important botches are to you. I think to me, botches in important moments are important. And I, I that probably sounds like a little bit of a, of a, an obvious point to make, but I think botches the you could recover from in the middle of a match a fine, but sometimes when you're botching in the climaxes and closing stretches, that's obviously going to have an effect on the emotional impact of your match. And a botch roll-up is, is what happened. And I'd, I don't know what could have covered it up. I mean, should they have come up with a new closing stretch on the fly? That's probably not possible. I think that would probably be very difficult to do. Um. Again, like I say, I think I like this, but it was the crowd that took away from it from me. They were really quiet during a lot of it, and there was some good chants, but it it just wasn't a visceral crowd, and it's strange, because I don't know if it's crowd noise, or atmosphere that I'm talking about, because I never felt like this in the cockpit, and the cockpit is undeniably quieter, but it felt much more intense and intimate, whereas this is a bigger venue, you can tell there are more people there, and because it was quieter, and you knew that, it kind of, Tuck away a little bit, I think, but that is what it is. Um, the other tag league match on this one was uh, Lycos Jim against the Velocities, and like any card on Brit Rest the like I must be suffered through. Is there a card they are not on? Is there a card in this country that Lycos Jim are not on? Going back to AEW analysis, we could use a lot of that analysis to frame our thinking because they're doing really well and the the, the conversations are always quite interesting. They don't put every star on every show because you get sick of them. Lycos are on everything. Anyway, they're actually fitting quite well in Stevenage because they could play with the children. And we could all boo, couldn't we? We could all boo the baddies. And talking about character, this is what I'm talking about. Lycos have no meaningful character. This thing at the start where they're fighting with children. That's not got any substance to it. It's not got any weight to it. When you talk about heel and you pick from those tropes, I don't care if you're doing it in an ironic way and it's supposed to... Because it's not ironic at this point with Kid Like Us. It's not Tuesday Night Graps anymore where we're all having a bit of a laugh. This is just what they do now. It's just what they become. It's like when people sort of think David Brent is hilarious, so they start acting like David Brent. The point is, is that it's a parody. The point is is that you're not supposed to be like this. That's what made it funny. That's what made Kid Like successful originally. Now, that's just what they are. They're not aping a bad thing. They are just a bad thing. They've started doing the Jimmy... Is it the Jimmy's in... Dragon Gate. I've never been a big Dragon Gate fan, to be honest with you. I know that sounds really controversial, doesn't it? But I find that Dragon Gate... I found it... Are you ready for a controversial take? I don't like Dragon Gate. And I really want to. But I don't like Dragon Gate because I feel like once I've seen one of the tag matches, I've seen them all. It's kind of like a Brian Cage match. The first time you watch Brian Cage, you're like... That is one of the greatest things I have ever seen. A big power man doing all sorts of power moves and flips and cool stuff. Mr. Get Your Shit In. And then you watch the next match and you realize it was exactly the same. And the next match was exactly the same. And that's kind of how I feel about Dragon Gate. You watch the the like a six-man opener and you think that six-man opener is better than anything I've seen on WWE in 10 years. And then you watch the next one and it basically feels the same. So my Dragon Gate takes probably should be ignored. You should probably listen to people who actually know what they're talking about, like open the voice gate or something, because I, I clearly can't be trusted with these opinions. But do you remember, was it the Jimmies who did that spot where they put like an elastic, not an elastic band, but like a piece of elastic in somebody's mouth, ran out into the crowd and then let it go so it slapped them in the face. Well, Lycos have been doing that But that's not your spot. It wasn't even really over and it was copied off somebody else. And I'm not a, like I say, I've made that clear now. I'm not a Dragon Gate fan. I don't watch Dragon Gate. And I know this. I know you've ripped this off somebody else. And there's a line, isn't there, with ripping things off. You know, we can all do Canadian Destroyers. We can all do Body Slams. We can all do Tombstone pile drivers, We can all take moves that are very much established with certain people and do them. But there's a line. It's weird, isn't it, how we can all do Tomb... Well, personally, I can't because I've got Spina Bifida. But all wrestlers could do a Tombstone pile driver and that wouldn't stand out. But if someone did a One Wind Angel or a Styles Clash, or a Rainmaker, that would. And this elastic band spot fits into that for me. This is very much one person's thing. And you're just copying it, you're just ripping it off. And it's a shame because, as I um was clear from this match, when Lycos actually worked, when they wrestled properly, they were great. You know, there were all sorts of reversals, there were all sorts of... Gr- great little moments in this but there was too many chairs and shenanigans and it makes it skippable. Paul London at one point got attended to by, did I just say Paul London? Not Paul London, Jude London. Jude London. (laughs) Paul London was very much not involved in this. Uh, At one point uh, he had to get attended to by medics which kind of made me think it was legit. Um, I don't know if it was but I've got a analyze what's in front of me. So he got attended to by paramedics and he had to shuffle to the back and then huddle back in three minutes later. And I I felt like if you're going to do that as a story, you need to commit to it. So even if it started off real and it did genuinely need to be attended to, you've committed to telling that story. So don't just come out three minutes later. Um... We got a brilliant, oh my goodness, from this one. I mean, the the, the microphone was broken, I think, ju- uh, at some point it was that bad. And it really made me, this is when I realized that, oh my God, this is going on rampage. I really hope they saw at least the sound, at least sort the sound out. Because, you know, that's, that's I think that, that'll make it the, the biggest difference. Start with your biggest problems first. The ref completely lost control of this. Like I say, with all the shenanigans and the, the wrestling on the outside, and it was all done in full view with the referee, and it was a bit... It reminded me of a Jake the Stake interview with Steve Austin when he did the Steve Austin podcast, and, and, and he says that one of the things that good heels need to do is obey the referee. They can't diminish the referee in... Uh, sort of as blatantly as this, because the referees where you get all your rules from. Actually, Jake, when he said it, used some really weird analogy about a school shooting, which I will spare you because it was odd, you know. <laughs> but actually, do you know it? it, it kind of history is very dark analogy. I don't. I would put it like this, but the way that Jake explained it was, is that in a school shooting, if you've got lots of police officers outside who are doing nothing, and this is obviously very apropos of what's happening in the world at the minute, the heat doesn't purely go on the shooter it goes on the police who are doing nothing because you think well you're just doing nothing so if you're a heel and you want all the heat on you you need to not make the referee look stupid you need to make sure that you're following the um apologies about that analogy by the way i was, I was really hesitant to repeat it i thought it was really dark when he said it but i guess he's a he's a he's got a very dark mindset jake hasn't he makes sense though um I felt like what they did by undermining the referee, it removed the heat. So again, another example of Lycos just not being very good at what they do. They're doing something but they're not even very particularly good at it. They don't seem to understand wrestling on that level. You know, they almost feel like they're at the point where they can parody wrestling and they can take these tropes and invert them and mess with them but they've not really understood that they've not really understood what makes wrestling great in the first place they kind of position themselves as being beyond this and above it in a way without actually understanding it you know it's like those people who've been watching wrestling for a week and then start a podcast about it or they started watching wrestling with AEW and are now tweeting about their deep concerns and I'm not gatekeeping with that, by the way. We all start somewhere. You know, everyone starts watching wrestling at some point and there are plenty of people listening to this you who know, I speak to you regularly who know tons more about wrestling than me. So I'm not, you know, maybe I'm going off on a tangent here. Um, when it was wrestling, it was good. When it wasn't wrestling, it was rubbish. Um, you know, Velocities really use the, the ring in an interesting way. They bounce around the ropes and it's great. Um, so Velocities, Wub, they get three points. No! Velocities didn't. Yes, Velocity's won. They um, get three points uh, like soccer. You get three points for a win. Uh, the other match on this show that was interesting was Michael Oku against Tony Deppen. And Deppen is the other wrestler who everyone seems to like but I always seem to be a bit indifferent about. You know, he, he comes out and he reacts to the smoke as if someone's just farted next to him. And I kind of just switch off a little bit with, with stuff. And, you know, the promo at the start, at this, Oku got the mic and he, he it felt like a very much a send the crowd the crowd home happy match rather than a main event. Uh, and it was fine uh, because he's oku, okay, isn't he? He's great and the, the crowd could always get into it and he, he makes it a championship match. Um, but this was really good. And I, as much as I like say I don't get excited for Depp matches, he is a great wrestler, I think. And, and it, it, there was a proper bit of wrestling to start with there was a couple of moments in this, like death and being held back by a grandma. And, and I, I, I'm undecided about how I felt about the spot, you know, in, in, in one sort of snobby part of my brain, the, the, the part of my brain that's too clever for its own good thought that it was harkening back to a world of sport era where, you know, grannies would be booing and hitting wrestlers with their handbags and they had this grandma in the crowd and it, it, it brought back those images almost sort of triggered those memories of, 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 uh, sort of like almost like a callback to that kind of era, if that makes sense. But then on the other hand, I just thought maybe it's lazy heat, <laughs> you know. And I, I think I'm perhaps erring more on the side of just of just lazy heat. Um, match escalated really well, and Oku dominated and Depp and sold really well. His offense is very snappy. It's not always very original. It feels like. He does the American indie style in a very competent and very good way um and that isn't necessarily a criticism criticism I just think he's that that's just he is what he is um again the the crowd just weren't into this, you know, there were big bombs and a great effort, and that was just met with nothing really you know, I don't know if it was the production that wasn't picking the crowd noise up and the end. Depan was hitting bomb after bomb after bomb and he 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 sold this desperation to win this championship really, really well. But the crowd just weren't arsed, really, from what I could tell. Uh it was good. I feel like if this match was in York Hall it would have got it would have been great. I think it would have been four star plus. But it it wasn't. You know, the bit at the end with Deppen and choking Oku and going for ground and pound and going back to the... And I, I knew Deppen wasn't going to win this. We knew Oku wasn't going to lose the Cruiserweight Championship in Stevenage. But Kinda, he convinced me that he would that, that's, that's the genius of wrestlers like Oku that we could look at all sorts of things about him and analyse him but I think ultimately that's what makes him great is that he can convince you and he can get you on board with whatever story he's telling even if you know that it's probably unrealistic you know that that the, the, it's never going to happen so I thought this was a really good match and and, and it's a shame that the crowd didn't really think so so that's the Steve and Hitch show next we're off to St. Neat's for Mayhem 2022. I'm on to a bit of a thing now of looking at famous people from these little towns that Red Pro play. And John Bellingham is from St. Neots. Uh, and he is the only person to have ever assassinated a British Prime Minister. And the reason why he did it is because he was imprisoned in Russia uh, as a result of a Lloyds of London insurance policy. A Russian ship was sabotaged, reportedly, and they claimed the insurance policy on Lloyds of London, which is where all the wrestlers used to get their insurance from uh, in the 90s, and... Uh, he was imprisoned because of the fuss around that and he was really annoyed and he petitioned to the government and he didn't get the compensation that he felt like he deserved and he shot the uh, Prime Minister. Uh, he, shot, he shot Spencer Percival, the only British Prime Minister to be assassinated. Wow, there you go. And also the guitarist of Jumeirah Choir is from St. Neots, so big town St. Neots, very interesting. Um, Couple of matches for the tag league here. We had Lycos Gym against Sunshine Machine and there's very, very much a sense of the progress to this one. You know, there's a whiff of that other London company, which I mean, it's it's crap, in it? But I'm sure it'll be done better in Red Pro. And again, that's what we say about the lens and the build and who's doing these things. This is very much a progress feeling match, but when it's in Red Pro you know it's going to be good. Uh, I, I know, You know you're going to get some sort of shenanigans here, but the The first thing I noticed was the difference in the crowd. The crowd seemed smaller than Stevenage, but it was certainly much more vocal, much more rowdy. Obviously, we had to have the elastic band crap. Um, But this time, um, it was reversed. It wasn't let go from the crowd into Chuck Mambo. Chuck Mambo let it go into the crowd, and it hit one of the like on the back of the head. I know. I know. You, I know. You don't need to tell me. I I feel the same. Um, I've really changed my tune on Chuck Mambo, you know. I get it now. Uh, and there's an effortless charisma to him these days that I, I really, really like. I feel like he's turned it down ever so slightly. I never... No, I didn't like it when he... Sort of the old Chuck Mambo, the kind of the surfer bro era. He is still that. But he just feels a little bit more natural now. He feels like a bit more like the real Chuck Mambo, like a real person. Um obviously I assume that the Surfer Bro persona was just him turned up to ten, which is often what wrestling is and often that works. But with him I never really felt like it did, and I, I like him a, a lot more now. Um I think his running Riptide really matured him. He's a much more complete performer now. And obviously when Sunshine Machine get moving, it rules, you know, and I'm glad that in some ways these two feels like they feel like relics of a Brit receiver that's been left behind. But I'm glad they've been able to keep going and, and keep on and, and find a lot of success because this tag team, I think, are superb. Never would have thought to put them together, but they're great and they become real cornerstones of the scene as well. They've, you know, they've been around for a while now, obviously. They're not new, um, but they've really established themselves as as the old Reliables, the old Faithfuls. And I think it's great. The weird thing about this match is... That when Lycos were in control, it was boring. But when Super, st- uh, super Strong Machine. I've just got SSM in my nose, It's come out of Super Strong Machine. Uh, when Sunshine Machine were in control, it was good. It, it, weird, isn't it? It's funny that, isn't it? Uh, when the good wrestlers were in control, it was good. Uh, when the boring wrestlers were in control, it was boring. Uh, TK powerbombed one Lycos into each other uh, like a two-star Newton's Cradle. And I'm always going to be into that. Um, Bits like that were really good. and Again, like always with Lycos, you're waiting for the cheating. uh, You're waiting for the comedy. But what I actually got at some points were Lycos flying everywhere and things going to and fro and wrestlers changing left, right and centre. And it actually ended quite well. And there's always those moments with Lycos when they wrestle well for brief moments. You realise how much of a shame it is that they do what they do. But um, Lycos stuck a pin... Uh, and I assume we're going to get a title shot. Classic tournament booking that the champions uh, lose a match to somebody who doesn't win the tournament, and then that gives us something to tide us over, which I like. There was a singles match on this one that looked interesting. It was Mark Davis against Ricky Knight Jr., and I have to talk about this one because I think it, it highlights what Red Pro does so well and what makes them so exciting. You know, This match feels simultaneously fresh and Thrown together, but exciting at the same time. And it just you look at two names on a on a page and you go, yeah, that'll be good. I really want to watch that. And in a way, that's the essence of booking. That's the essence of promoting. And that's why I think Quilden's such a good promoter. He just goes, hey, look at this match. And you go, oh yeah, I want to see that. I'm going to watch it. Because in theory, I should be skipping through these. I should just be watching the Tag League matches because I'm doing a podcast about the Tag League. But I didn't because I wanted to watch everything. I'm sorry, I wanted I, I to watch all the exciting matches. Um, This was ruined a bit by a brawl to the outside at the start that we couldn't really see, and it was sort of half committed to. Twice they left the arena um, to sort of brawl backstage like it was a WWF Here Comes the Pain match from a PlayStation 2, and then remembered that there were no cameras, there was no big screen, so they just wandered back in. That they sort of insisted on wrestling outside a lot, and that I wouldn't have said ruined it, ruined it would be a bit harsh, but it definitely took away from the opening a little bit. Um, I really think, and I've said this before, that I think Ricky should lean more into being the cool dickhead. You know, there was a lot of low blow base behavior here, there was lots of violent punches. And I, I think he can still do that and be a babyface in a, in an edgy kind of cool way. You know, we need to start moving away from this idea of pure blue eye or pure baby face, uh, pure heel. And people can exist in some sort of spectrum. And yes, sometimes you are going to go one way or the other. And you absolutely should for some people. But I think Ricky Knight Jr. needs to be a Steve Austin style character. I really do. I think he just needs to be the cool ass kicker because he can play that really, really well. I feel like he's sort of mixing between everything a little bit at the minute and he he needs to work on that. There was a moment in this where Matt Davis got a table out and Gideon Gray said, oh, don't, it's not our table. That's just a lovely line. What a lovely, brilliant line. Um... Like I say, what ruined this a little bit is they insisted on going outside of the ring constantly. They absolutely insisted. And I don't mind wrestling a little bit outside of the ring, but I think RKJ's talent is in how quickly he runs the ropes and how quickly he goes between moves. And by slowing it down and doing a walk and brawl, it kind of didn't give him the chance to, to express that appropriately. Later on, though, we absolutely did. And when this got back inside the ring, I absolutely loved it. You know, They were punching each other with an intensity that, that you don't often see. Because RKJ is deceptively good at everything. He's good at speed. He's good at power moves. He's good at brawling. And he, this match was really a, a good example of that. There was a great vertical suplex he did against Mark Davis that came out of nowhere and just looked incredible. It didn't look like he was struggling to do it at all. He was able to drop him fantastically. Um, every corner move every punch every big bomb was absolutely committed to and it, it ended up being really really good the other tag league match on this one was uh, the velocities against the legion with Shota Amino and Yota Suji um, I have to say and it pains me to say this I did not like Gideon's attire here yeah and I get the thing with the Shota shirt but the jeans, he had a bit of a Jeremy Clarkson look to him and it, it didn't look good. It, he's hes really been dressing snappily these days, Gideon Grey. I, I think the, the jeans and the suit jacket is a hangover from 2006 and it, it didn't suit him. We're not far enough away from the jeans and the the suit jacket for it to be ironic and dorky yet um, the jeans were too stonewashed to, to, to really work, I thought. But um, if you come and see me at the... Manchester show in a couple of weeks Red Pro you'll see <laughs> my, my analysis of fashion has absolutely no place on a podcast so I'll stop Um, I have to be honest I've not been impressed with Yota Suji generally speaking but he, he found a little bit of a style here that I really liked you know Paris of Silva was, was great here. He was fast, but very lucha. And he was, he was leaping all around him, doing all the spins you'd expect from like a Rey Mysterio. Uh, and Suji was an absolute great base for him. You know, he was able to sell being outsmarted in the way that we were talking about. Fletcher was able to do earlier on, uh, and Gideon's calls were great. And shouting that when he got, when he lost an exchange, he'd say, oh, you're a disappointment, Suji and stuff on the, on the commentary that I thought was really good. Um, he still comes across as a a little bit lazy i think suji a little bit blasé a little bit casual um which is a shame because when he was playing the power sort of man later on when he was able to sort of Realised that these little high flyers needed someone to just sort of power them. And that's how he was going to win. I thought he did that really well. He just needed to commit to things a little bit earlier. I think it's almost like he's, he's thinking a little bit too much and he doesn't want to commit to something. And he, he really needs to make sure that he does. The bad chant of the fortnight happened on this show. And it was a chant of Hey Jude for Jude London, which was absolutely terrible. Um, Shota, I find really boring at this point. I think I'm ready to say it. I, I, I'm not impressed with Shota Umino. I've given him a lot of chances. I, I don't think I'm into him at all. Uh, he, he just he's very flat a lot of the time, and I think maybe I've added more to Shota Umino than's actually there. You know that stuff with Death Riders was really cool. And his aura, he seems like a star. He carries himself like a star, but he doesn't really wrestle like one. He doesn't really do anything that captivates me. Like, what's his best bits? What are his best in-ring moments? And I feel like we need to start having some of them if he's going to be the great star that some people expected him to be. There was lots of good moments in this. And I don't want to call it a carry job because that's unfair, but it felt more like the experienced team in the Velocities was was leading the less experienced team. And that, that led to something you know competent, uh, but it felt like often the Japanese team was struggling to were keep up slightly. Um, the Velocities snuck this, and I really wanted them to win because they're so good. That's what the Velocities have got, is I want them to succeed because they're really, really great wrestlers. You know uh, they've got that charisma about them where you do you actually want them to win anyway that's uh mayhem twenty twenty two Saint Niitz let's go to Portsmouth and find what happened live at the Guild hall. So, we've had some good matches in the Tag League so far, but I don't think we've had any great matches. But hopefully, when we get to Portsmouth, that's all good. Ch- in fact, shall we have a look? Who's famous from Portsmouth? We've done this for every other town. Let's have a look. Oh, bloody hell, look at this. Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens, Arthur Conan Doyle, Rudyard Kipling, HG Wells, and Neil Gaiman. Wow. Some whoppers! Oh, Christopher Hitchens as well. Look at that H.G. Wells and Chow. That's just been selfish. I think Portsmouth. Look at that. Is a bad to Brunel, James Callahan. Oh, John Pounds. He founded the uh, Ragged Schools, uh, free education to working class children. Oh, he's good. Put Peter Sellers. Arnold Schwarzenegger lived there. Oh, yeah, this is good. This is the best one so far. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah, I like Portsmouth. I'm going to go. Who else? I think that's it for the good people. Some sportsmen, but who cares about them? Oh, that's that's good. They're the best ones. Um, Anyway, as I said, we've not had any great matches, uh, but we're off to Portsmouth. And this card, the two matches on the card seem like they're going to be the best ones. We had Destination Everywhere and Smoking Aces. And uh, Aussie Open against Arrows of Hungary. The first thing that's going to slap you around the chops about this show, though, is oh my word, the production. The hard cam is on an angle. <laughs> the hard cam is isometric. <laughs> it's like the ring is sort of going like he's facing the corner of the ring. It's like Baldur's Gate, <laughs> Sim City. It's like that Return of the Jedi game on the Atari when you flip between the Millennium Vulcan and the Endor Speeders. They filmed it like XCOM. I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, so we're just going to have to judge the wrestling. And I tell you, when the Arrows of Hungry came out, I'm I saying this on a loop, but the Arrows of Hungry's entrance is the coolest thing I have ever seen. I love them. It was, I think the bad production actually helped because it was so grainy and dark outside the ring that when they stood on the stage and the light was behind them and it was this silhouette of them in their sort of tribal masks with all the fur, it was terrifying. And the heavy metal music, oh, it was awesome. I love the Hungarian scene. I'm a big fan. And if you want to go back and. A couple of episodes, you can hear all my thoughts about it and and where to start because the Hungarian wrestling scene is so exciting and I love the Arrows of Hungary. They retweeted and liked the tweet where I I, I did that podcast and it gave me little, it's like little butterflies inside. I thought, oh, should I DM them? And I thought, no, like I shouldn't, but I thought, you know, they're really cool. Uh, But if you want to hear my thoughts about the Hungarian scene, listen to that because I'm enamored by it and I think if I can be arrogant for a second, I think it's really good audio. Um, what I said before about Fletcher stood true here because Fletcher's, like, calling them fat as they come in, you know? It's like, he's that really arrogant eel who's just willing to put himself right in the middle of the fight because he thinks he can win everyone and he can win a lot of them and it works. I think he's fantastic. The start of this had some brawling outside the ring, but it was so dark. They did, they literally didn't light like the outside of the ring, so you couldn't see what was going on. It was like Plato's cave i think i know what's going on but everything i understood about it came from shadows and i wasn't actually sure about the reality um but we got back into the ring and they actually explained the process of this for i think for the first time they're doing the finals in manchester a show i'm going to be at so come and say hello Uh, And the winner can then pick who they want to face. They can pick any team in the world. And and Andy Quilden said, any team we can do business with, they can have a match. And I love that. I love the capital of that. that It's going to be a team that wins that say, right, I want a fantastic match. And even though Gideon said, you should just pick someone easy and have a night off. (laughs) you know, I thought that was a funny line. Another line was when he said about, um, Andy said, this is what the winner gets. Uh, Gideon jumps in and says, a lovely holiday. And now they has to go, no, they get this match. I thought that was really good. This was brilliant. I. This is my favourite match so far of the tournament. It Aussie Open played the arrogant heels dominating so, so well. And, you know, the Arrows, Icarus in particular, desperately wanting the tag was so good. And Aussie, they just rule. They just rule. And they can play this so well. Icarus was collapsing after kicks and the way he sold the desperation for the tag was so great but he was so out of it that he kept—he was able to do these great fights and, and scratch himself and dominate for a second but he'd fall to the wrong corner or he wouldn't be able to get the tag because he was so jelly-legged and he sold that really, really well doing such a simple tag team story so, so brilliantly. And when he finally did get the hot tag, the big angry dad Dover came in. It was booting people in the face and being violent and aggressive. And you know, the swantons, the reversals, he was so good. And the crowd was so into this. It was a natural crowd. It was a natural reaction. And they were really enjoying what was in front of them and allowing themselves to be carried away by this incredibly brilliant and simple tag team story. I absolutely love this match. I, th- I thought it was great. I thought it was the best one so far. I, there was no fat on it. You know, things weren't smooth a lot of the time. Things were a little bit rough. People weren't quite in positions. But Aussie Open can do that so well. Like They'll mess up the start of a spot, but they'll shout at each other and go, no, 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 do this. And you, it's such a simple little thing to do, and it sounds like something hardly worth analysing. But I think it is important because what it does is it makes it seem real. That you are going to mess up. It's not a case that they stop and panic because they don't know what to do now. And they feel like they've exposed the artificiality of the situation. They just sprinkle more reality on top of it. And Aussie Open do that so well. And I think that's great. I love this match. I thought it was really, really good. And the next one was Destination Everywhere against Smoking Aces. And this is easily the best match of the tournament. This was brilliant, and if you watch one match, this is the one that you should watch. Andy, are you listening? Andy, listen to me. Put this match for free. I don't know, do you put it for free on YouTube because the production was bad? Do you put this for Yeah, yes, put it for free on YouTube. It got over it. Put it for free on YouTube. Let people see this. Let people see it. It was great. I want people to see this match. It was so good. It was interesting, you know, the story at the start with Mills coming out to his own music and, and I realised that I don't know if I'm bothered if there's never a blow-off to this story because this little thing between Mills and Oku, this their colleagues and friends and rivals at the same time and the way that relationship dances around is, is very, very real. It's very, very real. Think about your own life. I get this on the website when somebody else posts, when I, I used to do a lot more writing, and somebody had posted an article that was really good and it was usually that rotter, J. Michael. And he posed something that was great. And I go, oh, I need to up my game. So I was he's my friend and I like him and I respect him. But I get jealous of him. And I want to be better than him. And it, it, that happens so much in our lives. And that's the story they're telling between Mills and Oku. And it's so great. And it makes you wonder whether Mills is coming out on his own because he's deserved that spot or he wants that spot. Or it's just because Oku gets the time as the champ. That might be a little bit on the nose, but I think it works. Do you know, Charlie Sterling is so good. Nick Riley's great, but Charlie Sterling is a star. And I'm worried with him there might be a temptation to split the team up and for him to go solo. And I really hope he doesn't because he is so great at being a tag team wrestler. Nick Riley is too. Charlie Sterling is something special. He's a tag team specialist. And I just, I, I, this match was so good. It was tag team wrestling everything was based around who was the legal man, who was, who, you know, getting tags, but it was wrestled at such a breakneck speed, and the action never stopped, there was no big collapse, there was no rest hold, it was constant, unrelenting, powerful action. When there was a pause, it was a purposeful planned moment to think, what big move are we getting next, these teams it was like a pendulum going back and forth all the way and whenever we had a moment we realised that they were thinking what can we do, what can we do to take this to the next level and you were allowed to breathe that thought process along with the teams that were wrestling and I thought it was absolutely brilliant both teams were absolutely determined to win all the way through I love the fact that speed was constantly changed and switched and dominance went through and it was often done by little things like a leg sweep. So we'd get all this build-up of of amazing, fast, powerful, exciting moves and then it would come to a halt with a leg sweep. Almost like you're writing a speech and you have a short sentence to punch the reader in the face. That's what it felt like. And I love the fact that Gideon called the leg sweep by saying he got his leg chopped out of his leg. What a legend. It was just exciting wrestling with speed and innovation. Ace has messed up that double splash again, and I think they need to stop doing it. But because it was so fast-paced, like a Tim Vine comedy set, if you didn't like one joke, it's fine, because the next one's along the way. And the next thing along the way was something like Oku doing a DDT and booting the other Ace in the face. It was so much fun. It was so much action. You know, there was things like pins being broken up with with, 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 with frog splashes. And then Oku selling the frog splash like... And he delivered it, but he'd sell it like he'd broken his neck. He'd be like spasming it on the floor. The pace and the atmosphere of this match was so cool. And I loved it. What is it about Portsmouth? I need to go. This really, really brought it. And I think they should keep the isometric hard cam. Because it's clearly a good look jam. Yeah, it looks terrible. Yeah, the production's not great. But I really, really enjoyed it. So that's six matches. I think of the tag league, we're not quite up to date because there's a couple of things that haven't gone up yet. There's a there's a live in London that we I'm going to dedicate a whole show to. Uh, or we'll do with like a sort of a a, a full uh show review because I think it was a really good show overall. But at worst, the tag league has been Kid Lycos. Like at best. It's been this match. And I think it's really worth watching because there's been some exciting stuff. Let's wrap things up. I'm gutted about Wes, you know. I don't want to keep going on about it. But it is. There's it's, it's a sadness that's hanging over me now that it never happened and I never got to talk about it. I was going to buy my ticket on the morning and, and go down and sit in a massive arena probably on my own. And maybe I was I was thinking maybe I could start recording the podcast while I was in the in the audience. But no it didn't happen. It's a bit of a shame, but it is what it is. I've really enjoyed this little Red Pro catch up and I, I think they're a great promotion. I always enjoy sinking my teeth into them. Uh and as I say, I'm at the Manchester show. It's on, let me get the date. It's Summer Sizzler and it's on the twenty third um i will have an episode out no i won't the episode isn't out until the monday afterwards so a bit before the episode so i'll i'll review it when i get back um but if you are at that show um please come and speak to me i'll be on my own i'm not putting my wife through this one i'm not going to tell you what i look like because i probably look exactly how you imagine um i'm overweight i've got a really bad beard and a terrible haircut um so if you see someone that looks like that, go up to them and uh, ask you Neil David and take 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 the risk. <laughs> no, what I'll do is I'll post a picture when I get there so you can see where I'm standing. But please, I'd love to come and meet some of you. So please come up and, 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 and say hello and, uh, and, and share a Coke with me, share a nice carbonated beverage. Hope you have a lovely fortnight. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, and I will see you soon. I'm off to eat cheese and crackers. I nearly didn't mention cheese and crackers. Oh no, I mentioned it at the start. We're safe. Never mind. Panic over. Have a lovely fortnight. See you soon. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.